zoom, 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 say, wow, come, eh. Ladies and gentlemen, we're ready to set the You're session. listening to Respect it, You. Uh, we open it up. Uh, say, uh, good evening and good afternoon. Uh, like say, uh, well, welcome in. Come. Welcome in. For this project, we've invited UK creatives, journalists and heritage organisations to nominate an individual who's had a big impact on their creative journeys. The individuals nominated for Respect You are people who have inspired and innovated in their field. People who have demanded change and paved the way for generations to come. Their achievements will be showcased in the Museum of Colour along with portraits by the artists Grace Lee, Erin Say and Naki Nar. The Museum of Colour is a digital museum celebrating 250 years of creative achievement by people of colour. In this audio series, you will hear from the nominees themselves. I would describe myself as a complete musical chameleon. When I was a kid, I fell in love with soul, disco, Motown. And meanwhile, in the background at home, my parents were listening to bits of Bollywood. So there was always this multilingual dual music experience that was going on right from a young age and I think from then on I realised that I didn't need to understand a language to enjoy the sound of something. I've always been attracted much more to melody and to rhythm. I'm Samanwar Sesha, Director of the Museum of Colour and this is the voice of the brilliant DJ Ritu, broadcaster, event producer, co-founder of Outcast Records and world-renowned disc jockey. I was at Chelsea School of Art and I was going to lots and lots of different clubs all the time. You know, I was at that age where I just wanted to be out and I wanted to be partying and I wanted to meet lots and lots of people. I was looking for love and uh, I, I used to go out maybe five or six nights a week. The DJ thing was just a hobby and it was something in addition to trying to get my degree in fine art and then it was still a hobby when I became a girls and young women's development worker in the London Borough of Haringey and I was in that job for 14 years so everything I did musically was just simply a bonus on top of uh, my real job which was working with kids. It was it was quite a while before music became my full-time profession The hours were really long and very unsocial. Uh, You know, we'd often be working at youth centres till uh, 10 o'clock at night. That was quite normal and still have to be up in the morning for staff meetings, etc. And um, I really have no idea where I fitted in the club hours as well. Soon, DJ Ritu added another job title to her roster, broadcaster. In the early 90s, All of my club residencies just suddenly stopped and I I could just sort of feel that suddenly my club work was not as secure as as I thought it had been. And lots of people kept saying, you've got a really great voice. Um, What have you thought about doing radio? And so I just thought I would try and move sideways a little bit. And um, there was a sound engineer guy that I was working quite closely with and he helped me uh, record a demo tape onto DAT tape 
digital audio tape and didn't really know where to send it so just sent it to BBC Three Counties Radio for the hell of it and lo and behold I got a phone call from them and when I spoke to the assistant manager there he straight away said oh my god you've got a great voice and (laughs) so I was just given a weekly show there. I didn't know what I was doing, um, but I think that's been the case through most of my career. A lot of the times I've started off in something, I haven't known what I'm doing really. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm one of those people that beds into a job and gets better, like a, like a fine wine, I suppose. You just kind of mature into the into the role. So the first the first uh, radio slot that I was given, um, it, it wasn't called BBC Three Counties Radio then. It was called Radio BBC Radio Bedfordshire, and they had a breakfast show which was called Breakfast in Beds, and they decided that they would name my show Bangra in Beds, which was quite a nice snazzy title in lots of ways. And I stayed at that radio station for the next twenty two years. Ritu went on to make programmes for the BBC and KISS FM and her show was later syndicated to Germany, Sweden and Turkey where it was enjoyed by a growing world music scene. Then, as if that wasn't enough, she co-founded a record company, Outcast Records. Yes, Outcast Records, I mean, it it was probably one of the most exciting things that I've ever been involved with. I think as um, a natural artist, with an activist streak, maybe perhaps more than an activist streak. I mean, um, the idea of starting a record label that could potentially elevate the opportunities for British Asian musicians. I mean, it was it was just a perfect thing for me to be involved with and so needed. I think one thing I've always done is looked at where the gaps are in the market, but not from a business point of view but from a gosh you know we need to address this imbalance it's it's from that point of view that I come from a lot of the time and at that point in the mid the early 90s there were no uh, openings for British Asian musicians their choices were they could go to a Bangra label um, and they could make Bangra or Bollywood or they could try and get into the mainstream, into into the major record labels. And that route was almost completely sealed to them for obvious reasons. There was lots and lots of assumptions and stereotypes and myths that um, anyone who was South Asian only wanted to make Bhangra anyway. And of course, that was not the case. There were lots of um, British Asian artists that wanted to make drum and bass. And there were some that wanted to make, you know, hip hop. So... With Outcast, we were very much about responding to that British and Asian and East-West mentality. And it was also clear for us that we wanted to open up new performance opportunities and platforms, radio, airplay, etc. for for these artists. I think with Outcast Records, we had a very we had a very specific mission statement and Aside from trying to create new platforms and avenues and openings for British Asian artists, we very much also connected with the the British connecting angle, if that makes sense. Because with the 1990s, 
you had the birth of drum and bass and jungle and you had the birth of trip hop and you had the Manchester Manchester scene and so on and so forth there was so much happening so we had a lot of connection and a lot of affinity with clubs like you know metalheads for example and um acid jazz records and talking loud and as a dj i was also buying up lots and lots of house at that time and lots of house music i mean my favorite label was positiva and for me i was working in so many different kinds of clubs with so many different types of music and with so many different types of people so i didn't really see the south asian or the british asian side of what i was doing as exclusively my domain I, I had fingers in so many other pies as well can you name a couple of highlights of your time with outcast there's there's a number of highlights um i mean one would be when i discovered nitin sawney and that happened you know because his manager approached me when i was djing at a first ever big world music conference international world music conference in berlin um and i was there for about four four days and sh she approached me and she said I've got an unknown artist I'm representing. Could you ever listen to this CD by him and let me know what you think? Because I know you've just started up a label called Outcast. And I said, yeah, no problem. And then when I got back to London and I listened to it and I just thought, now he is, he's what we, we're trying to do. He, he is it. Uh, and I went to see him in his bedsit in, in Tooting. And um, gosh, you know, yeah, it was quite a messy bedroom. He had a load of DAT tapes, you know, uh, strewn over his uh, single bed. Um, and of course, he, he blew up. And to be part of the launch of his career was incredibly exciting. Um, I can't forget, of course, when we set up Club Outcast, because I think clubs somehow, in some shape or form, have become my natural habitat and I don't know at what stage that happened I think it must have been in my student years that bond with clubs was forged then and it's on a very emotional level so yeah Club Outcast was incredible we opened that at the end of 1994 it was the second regular Asian underground club night in the UK we opened at Ormond's in Piccadilly so it was on two floors Bjork and Goldie used to come to the club and uh yeah it was it was such a such a special place and not long after that we then moved club outcast to the new club that mr c from the shaman had built which was called the end uh which was in hoban and it was like a a super you know purpose-built club uh, the place where a place where you could you could feel the the bass um from a track you could literally feel it rumble from the floor through your feet right up through your body it wasn't long until ritu made another transition from dj broadcaster and record label exec to band leader okay so this this big world music conference that i went to dj at in 1994 where nitin sawney's manager approached me it was called womex and connected with Womex, there was this huge world music scene growing in Germany. And the guy, the founder of Womex, um, he said to me, um, okay, so we're going to bring you back to Womex. This year it's going to be in Brussels. We want you to DJ there. But next year, I would like you to come and play at Heimatklanger, which is a five-day festival 
uh, in Berlin. We have 15,000 people every night. My one slight problem is that DJs look really boring. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a budget and I'd like you to see if you can try and do something to make yourself look a bit more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's like a backhanded no compliment, you know. Yeah. And um, so in 1996, I found myself putting together w not what I thought was a band. You know, it was still being called DJ Ritu and Friends. I just tried to pick out dancers that I knew that were coming to some of my clubs, musicians that I knew, vocalists that I knew. And together, 10 of us went off to Berlin, not knowing what we were going to be doing or how to do it. And all I can say is the first show that we did was absolutely atrocious. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Will I find but, it on YouTube but, if I go looking? Yeah, I mean, there's this a DAT recording up here somewhere. Um, but the team that I chose, or the, the, the individuals that I chose, I took Nick and Sawney with me. Um, he'd never really played abroad before. And uh, various other musicians, a tabla player, um, a bass player, the two dancers, as I say, and JC001, who at that time was in the Guinness Book of Records as the fastest rapper in the world. And I'd met JC at a gig we were all doing at the Rocket in Holloway Road. It was the first, it was Asian Dub Foundation's first gig. There was something about JC, apart from the fact that he could kind of go double one, double one, double one, and <laughs> he was a beatboxer as well. I mean, an incredible beatboxer. And um, yet there was something very intense about JC. So I wanted him to be our, our vocal mouthpiece. What I wasn't prepared for was after totally bombing that first night, um, I, I was awake all night because, you know, when you know you've really, really failed and you failed publicly in, in front of 5000 people, you don't sleep. And instead, so, you know, you go through this into this panic uh, mode of, oh, my God, it's all gone wrong. Oh, my God, you know. And then my brain sort of sort of started to shift and, and, and create some kind of order out of chaos. And I scripted a scripted a whole way of how we could do this and who would come on when and who would go off when instead of it being a free for all that it was at the moment. And so the next day, all of us hung over. We uh, we had a very long sound check during the day, and I and I presented them with, and I it had now been written out, and it had been um, you know uh, photocopied. And uh, gosh, we got a lot better. And the great thing was was that this chemistry developed between Arif Arif Dervish, the tabla player, and JC Double One, and they started to do this tabla vocal question answer it was fantastic so jc was kind of going <laughs> and then arif would play exactly that same like pattern on the tablas and then jc would do one a bit harder like a more difficult pattern and then arif would you know ding ding you know and he'd come back with the same thing and then um the thing is with tabla players they're, they're taught to talk the drums so of course arif realized that he could also he didn't have to just play with his with his hands he could also speak the beats and uh it was phenomenal I was like you've got to put that in you've got to put that into the show tonight you've got to put it in and oh my god you know the crowd went apeshit when that came on 
Um, so so five five days in Berlin, and uh, by the end we were actually pretty good. And um, and then we got picked up by a promoter in Belgium who wanted us to come there and play on New Year's Eve, and and so that's that's just how the band just sort of it, it just developed this life of its own and we were named by jc001 it was one of the uh, phrases that he had in in one of his raps you're in tune with the asian equation the asian equation the asian equation i just thought that's that's a great name and so by the time we went to belgium for new year's eve we were called dj ritu and the asian equation and then it became just the Asian equation. And then in 1997, I got, got us an agent. And then that's when we started to do WOMAD and the Royal Festival Hall and, um, you know, those kinds of gigs. And we toured with that band and also the second band, Sister India, which was a women positive version of the Asian equation, specifically showcasing British Asian female musical talent. We toured in over 30 countries. Today, DJ Ritu is a concert producer at SOAS, a member of the Mayor's London Music Board and the European World Music Charts panel. DJ Ritu still manages two leading London club nights. The two clubs that we run are Club Carly, which started in 1995, and the other club is the UK's biggest and first ever Bollywood club, which is called Kuch Kuch Bollywood Nights. And that's just about to celebrate its 21st birthday. What kind of experience do you want people who visit your club to have? That's quite an easy one. I want people to feel absolutely welcomed the way that I would welcome someone into my home. This kind of old-fashioned Indian hospitality you know if somebody comes into our homes uh, you know you you offer them not just a drink you feed them as well (laughs) you know there'll be like a 10 course meal uh, thrown in and you, you try and say okay my home is yours make yourself really comfortable here and that is primary in in the clubs that I run and with the first club, with Club Carly, I very much wanted people who were British Asian and South Asian, because we you know we have first, second, third, whatever gen- generations coming in there. And I wanted them to feel that they were in a space which felt safe and which felt tailored for their tastes and needs. So if that meant musically, that was one thing, atmosphere, um, being in the majority, not being in a minority. A lot of clubs I was going to before setting up my own, you know, I I was often in very much in a minority. And I, I guess I also wanted a lot of cultural exchange because my thing is, if, if I'm running Club Kylie and I'm playing music by Tony Braxton or Robin S or Right now, I mean, it would be Dua Lipa. And I'm also playing tracks by Asha Bosley or tracks by Tiger Style, you know, Bhangra duo. I can't really get why everyone else can't get those, all those kinds of music. Why can't they? They can. Because as I said right from the outset, the language shouldn't need to be a barrier. And the history of Club Kali is that although it is tailored 
more so it is there is a priority for the British Asian experience musically and culturally. It's been a place that's been welcoming of everybody. They just need to be open to all kinds of music. And again, it goes back to this idea of connecting cultures through music. It also goes back to something that I think I've been doing for many, many years without realising it, which is decolonizing dance floors. I think that started at that very first residency that I had um, from 1986. Of course, consciously, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, okay? But when we kind of deconstruct what, what we were doing to, to some degree, back in 1986, everywhere that I played at and everywhere I went, it was kind of, you know, it was a bit of a homogenous experience musically and in terms of the, the demographics, you know. With that particular six-year residency, more and more people started to come who were non-white and they started to ask for music that that they that was a taste of back home maybe to some degree so it was about trying to make people happy and that's never changed but you know i mean you've talked about this club experience that that is clearly like in your soul so what have the last couple of years been like because that's probably one of the areas that has suffered the most what what's it's been what's it been like how have you adapted The last year and a half uh, through the pandemic, it was extraordinarily difficult. And for me, that highlighted or underlined exactly what my relationship is with Clubland. And um, I have found myself just out of nowhere having flashbacks, flashbacks to clubs I've played in decades ago, or been in decades ago, I can literally, I've been able to see, smell, feel those clubs. And and it's so strange the way those flashbacks just keep happening. It's almost like, um, I suppose, like maybe what someone would have with a trauma of some kind. Like I can be in the hairdressers and a, a track will come on on the radio, like We Found Love by Rihanna, for example. And just these tears just... Again, it's not a conscious thing. It just it's this is there's this emotional, overwhelming thing that happens. So uh, there's absolutely been some kind of cultural uh, starvation experience for me. And I and I every time it's happened, I, I kind of thought, God, I'm going to be in therapy at some point about this. And I you know I don't know when, but. Maybe now that we've reopened, um, perhaps that won't be necessary because as much as I don't haven't felt that it's a safe time for us to reopen, I do feel that there was a topping up of my empty cup. A huge thank you to DJ Ritu. You can follow her work at www.djritu.com. DJ Ritu was nominated by the arts and culture journalist Tara Joshi. Tara is the music editor at Galden. Respect You is presented by me, Salmonoir Sesha, and is produced by Stella Sabin for the Museum of Colour. You can find out more at www.museumofcolour.org.uk. 
level of bigotry, every level of weakness. The music you have heard in this series is from Soweto Kinch's prize winning album, Conversations with the Unseen. Further episodes of this series are available across all podcast platforms. Respect You is supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the Paul Hamlin Foundation. Thank you for listening. Make you think you're in a cave and your shadow can speak. Cool. Yeah.